This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Lamentations, if you would. Uh, Not a common passage of Scripture for a Sunday morning, so if you have trouble finding it, it's right after the book of Jeremiah. And so, uh, the book of Lamentations, we've been in this passage for the last uh, uh, two weeks, and we'll uh, wrap it up here today uh, before we move on to somewhere else. We're currently in a series entitled, Sure and Steadfast, which is our theme for the year 2022. And so we're just taking a look at what the Bible has to say about hope. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a hope in Jesus Christ that is an anchor for our soul that is sure and steadfast. And so we're taking a look at the hope that we have in Christ and what that looks like for us. And so if you missed any of the messages so far in this series, uh, you can get caught up on our podcast. I would encourage you to download the Hui Kala app if you don't currently have it on your smart device, uh, smartphone, or your tablet, because... If you have the Hui Kala app and you click on today's message, there's a button that says fill in notes. That'll actually open up a web browser for you that has a list of everything we're going to cover today. All the verses that I'm going to reference uh, will be on that uh, passage or, or on that uh, uh, app that you have there. Also, if you want to download the, no- the PDF notes and print those from home, you can do those. Uh, there's a button for PDF notes on there as well. And so I encourage you to follow along that way or just grab a sheet of paper and jot some thoughts down as we go through this passage of scripture this morning. Lamentations chapter 3, just to give you a little bit of review before we jump into it, is uh, basically the children of Israel were told, get your act together, repent, come back to God, leave idolatry, or else you will go into captivity. Uh, They refused to repent, they refused to make things right with God, and so uh, they found themselves under God's hand of punishment and chastisement, uh, and they got uh, taken away into captivity in Babylon. And so Jeremiah writes now the book of Lamentations as the children of Israel have been taken away from Jerusalem and into a foreign land. And the first part of of Lamentations chapter 3, he's writing on behalf of the children of Israel. As he speaks to being under the hard, heavy hand of God's wrath, he's speaking about them, the, the country, the children of Israel as a whole as a people, if Israel were personified, these are the things that are happening to them. And so it's a laundry list of some really terrible stuff and a a, a despondency that you find, a hopelessness that permeated the children of Israel during this time of Babylonian captivity. That's what we'll take a look at this morning. So Lamentations chapter three, we're gonna start in verse number one. First of all, it says, I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he is turned, he turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old, he hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail, he hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out, he hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with his hewn stone, he hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. 
He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. It's removed from my soul, far off from peace, and I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering my affliction and my misery and wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. So you see things get bad and then they go to worse and then there comes a period of uh, God has forgotten me. I've forgotten how good God is and, and I'll no longer see God's goodness and his faithfulness any longer. But things begin to change in verse 21 when he says, I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto all of them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Last week we took a lengthy look at what the Bible has to say about uh, depression and suicide. And uh, if you weren't here for last week's message, you should listen to it on the podcast or uh, pull it up on our YouTube channel because it was so helpful and practical, I believe, on helping Christians process through emotions and feelings that maybe we think sometimes are sinful and are wrong, but it's really just part of the common human existence. As we, we as Christians should have a source of hope in Christ that brings us courage uh, day by day, a, a point of faith that we can come back to, but sometimes we just get stuck in a rut. Last week, uh, last Sunday, we took a look at what the Bible says about suicide and depression, and shortly after that, my wife shared with me a, a news story where uh, the 2019 Miss USA, Chelsea uh, Chris, had taken her own life that same day, just this past week. She read an essay last year about the effects that social media had had on her and the need to measure up to the measuring stick that society had for beauty. And she had been a part of the, the beauty pageants and things for her whole life. And she was turning 30 and she felt like she could never possibly meet up to society's expectation of her. And just this past week, she took her own life. I was troubled by that all week because I thought to myself, again, our society sets people up for failure Again, I was troubled this morning. I'd, I'd worked out this morning after I worked out. I was skimming through the news headlines and I, I found the story uh, of a man by the name of Michael Frode. Michael Frode was an army veteran that served um, as a, in human intelligence uh, and was a, a part of a, a group that would go into Iraq and Afghanistan and try to find informants and, and get information from them as part of our intelligence gathering process. And he'd gone away and was suffering with PTSD when he came back and then uh, was having trouble processing through that. And like uh, many of our folks who served in the military, he knew that by standing up and saying that he needed help meant that he would lose his job, uh, would lose his clearance. And so he basically checked the boxes on what he was supposed to say so that he could uh, keep his job. Unfortunately, that caught up with him and he ended up taking his own life. And when they interviewed his family, they said he knew that he was having problems. We knew that he was having problems, but he felt like to keep his job, he couldn't say that he was having trouble. And again, I've known so many people in the military that come back from a deployment and say, hey, just to keep my job, uh, I need to be able to answer these questions in a way that gets me to keep my job. Uh, for, for me, I was in the intelligence community as well. I had a top secret SCI clearance when I was in the Navy. And again, to keep your clearance, you've got to make sure that you check all the right boxes. But let me say this today. If you're here this morning and you are struggling, I want you to know that it's okay to not be okay. And if you need help, I need you to ask for it. And I want you to know that I'm here for you. 
I want to make it really easy for you because I know it can be awkward sometimes maybe to stop by uh, the pastor and say, hey, can we talk sometime? Or maybe to even get work up the courage to send an email saying that you need to talk. So I've made this really ridiculously easy for you. If you have the Church Center app on your phone, and if you don't, you should download it, and you go to the homepage of the Church Center app and you scroll down to the bottom, right before the more info, there's a button there that says meet with pastor, okay? You click on that button, it opens up a web page where you just schedule an appointment like you were scheduling a dental appointment, Okay really easy for you. You don't have to answer any questions. Just select a date and time and your contact information and you can schedule a meeting with me and whatever we have to say will be said in confidence. I don't let anybody know. I don't tell anybody what we talk about or anything like that. If you need to talk, help is available for you. And again, you might need medical help. You might need mental health. You might need to talk to a, to a therapist. You might need to talk to a doctor, but you can always talk to your pastor always. And so I want you to make that available to you and let you know that that's a resource that you have. Keep that in your back pocket. Anytime you need to talk to me again, my door is always open to be able to help you. Moving on to today, being able to process through things like this, sometimes difficult circumstances in life, sometimes requires us to have the right perspective. We have to see things the way that the Bible sees things. So many times we get caught up from seeing things from the world's perspective and we get a skewed view of what the world looks like. Remember when I was a, a kid uh, growing up, my dad had this uh, picture that he had in his filing cabinet. This was before the days that you could just pull something up on your computer or pull something up on the internet do a quick Google search for it. And there's a picture, how many people have seen this picture before? And so for those of you that haven't seen it, it's a picture of either an old woman or a young woman, depending on how you look at it. Uh, if it's the old woman, that thing that, that's down there at the bottom is her, her coat that's up around her and her mouth with a really long nose. If you look at it from a different perspective, it's the side profile of a younger woman. That's her cheekbone, uh, and there's a little plume coming out of the, the top of her hat, and she's turned away, and that little thing uh, is a nose on the other side. So which one of those is the correct interpretation? Well, it's the same photo. It just depends on your perspective. And some of you are looking at this like, I don't see an old lady or a young lady. That's okay. <laughs> I'll draw it out for you later, Okay. But again, it comes down to perspective. I don't know if you ever saw, these were popular when I was in high school. You would go to the mall and they would have these 3D photos that they would have on these things. It looked like a bunch of different geometric shapes. And the idea is you were supposed to stand in them for a long time and let your eyes relax. And then like this 3D photo would come out and you'd be like, oh, I see the hidden photo. How many people know what I'm talking about there, right? Well, let me just tell you, I never saw it, right? I stood there with everybody else, and they're like, oh, you gotta let your eyes relax and almost cross. And I was standing there cross-eyed, I was standing there looking at it from the side. I never saw it. Now, I will confess my sin before you because I've already confessed it to God and he's forgiven me. There were times that I stood there with a group of friends and they were going, oh, I see it. Oh, that's so awesome, oh, that's so cool. Anthony, do you see it? I was just like, wow, that's so cool. I didn't see it. I pretended like I did because I didn't want to be left out and feel awkward. And again, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You missed malls in the 90s. And so you just missed the boat on that, all right? But what does it come down to? It comes down to just how we see things, the perspective. Again, a photo like this depends on the perspective that you see it from. Your challenges and difficulties in life, how you process through those really comes down to your perspective on things. And so we'll take a look at today on how you and I can have hope when we look at things from a biblical perspective. And so we'll find out how to do that this morning. So take a look at this passage of scripture this morning. Uh, it's important to understand from the very beginning, verse number 22 tells us, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. It's important to understand that today is a gift and you and I need to steward it wisely. 
Now, I will caution you that today's message, there's going to be some things that you hear that you say, hey, that sounds like coffee cup Christianity. That sounds like a bunch of psychobabble nonsense. The idea of self-talk and mantras and today is a gift and all this other stuff. Let me just tell you this. When it comes down to universal truth throughout the universe, universal truth can always be tracked back to biblical truth, okay? Always. So the idea that today is a gift and we're not promised tomorrow, that's not something that goes on Hallmark cards or uh, anything like that. That's a biblical idea. So when we talk through some of this stuff today, you might say, oh, you're bumping up across the line of, of nonsense psychobabble. Again, I'm going to point you back to Scripture every single time. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That means you are alive today because God is gracious and merciful to you. Don't forget that. So today is a gift, and we need to steward it wisely. You and I don't have a promise of tomorrow, but you and I are alive today because God is merciful. If you woke up this morning and you have breath in your lungs, your Father has allowed you to see another day. That's it. None of us deserve to be here. None of us are deserving of God's mercy or His grace. And no greater place was God's mercy shown than upon the cross of Christ. You see, you and I have broken God's law. You and I have sinned against the holy God. You and I are in danger of God's wrath and judgment. And God chooses to be merciful to us. I sometimes explain God's mercy and grace like this. If you are speeding down the H1 and you see the uh, headlight or the uh, blue lights of Honolulu's finest in your rearview mirror and you're asked to pull over to the side of the road, you pull over. You're speeding, you broke the law. The officer comes up, asks your license, registration, safety inspection, you give him all that, he looks it over and he says to him, I'm gonna let you off today with not even a written warning, just a verbal warning, slow it down. That is him being merciful. Because he did not give you what you deserve. You deserved a citation. You deserved to go to court. You deserved to pay the penalty. You deserved to have points taken off your driver's license. You deserve your insurance premiums to go up. That's what you deserve. But he says, I'm going to hold back from you what you deserve because I am merciful. Now imagine to this, he has his little ticket book and he flips it open to the back there and he says, now I'm not going to give you anything but a verbal warning today, except for the fact that I have a $200 gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse that I wanted to give to you today. Slow things down and have a great day. And you said, that would be awesome. I wholeheartedly agree, right? That would be him giving you something that you did not deserve, right? That would be an act of grace. Grace is me receiving what I do not deserve, and, and mercy is God keeping from me the things that I do deserve. I deserve to die and go to hell because I've broken God's law. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. That death means a physical death, and after that, a spiritual death separated from God in a place called hell for all of eternity. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve because we've broken God's law. But God is merciful and says, I don't want to send you to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God says, I'm going to withhold my judgment from you for a moment because I'm merciful. 
And God gives us the gift of his son. Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for my sin and pay for yours. I was supposed to die and be punished, but Jesus was punished and died for our sins in our place. We didn't deserve it, but God gave us his son. He paid the penalty of our sin. And God is merciful. He's holding back his judgment. God is gracious. He gives us his son as payment for our sin. But you must put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin. You have to believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I'm turning from my sin and turning to Jesus. And the day that you do that, you will be saved or born again. Those are Bible words that mean the same thing. If there's never been a time in life where you've been saved or born again, friend, you need that today more than you need anything in the world. You need to be saved. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He says in John chapter 14, verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God loves you. His son Jesus died for your sins, but you need to receive it and believe it. And if you do, God will be merciful. He'll hold back from you what you really deserve. I don't know if you caught it in the song that the, the lady sang this morning, Jesus, strong and kind. When I am afraid, Jesus says that I can come to him. When I'm without strength, Jesus says that I can come to him. Whenever I need anything, Jesus says that I can come to him. But when I was lost, Jesus came to me. You don't have to seek him out. He's already came to seek you out. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Why? Because God is a God of mercy. And it frustrates me to no end when people mischaracterize our father as a father strictly of anger, wrath, and punishment. That's not who God is. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And you and I have life today because God is gracious. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse number 31 says, Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou dost not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us. Psalm 78, 38, but he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all of his wrath. We see that God's merciful. And you and I are alive today because God has allowed us in his mercy to be alive. We also see in the Bible, we're alive today because of God's mercies, but tomorrow's not promised to us. I praise God that in the history of who we call a Baptist church, we've had one funeral that I've had to preach, one. We had another guy who had attended our church for less than four weeks that we hosted a, a memorial service here for, for he and, and his family, but he didn't really attend church here. But one, one, one funeral in the history of our church, I praise God for that. But I'm not foolish enough to think that, that nobody in our church will ever pass away. I hope all of us get the opportunity to, to go in our sleep while we're taking a nap in a rocking chair on the front porch at 105 years old with our grandkids uh, sitting around us. I hope that's the case. But we don't have a promise of that. Look, you can be planning my funeral by next Sunday because none of us are promised tomorrow. And the only reason that we're alive today is because God is merciful if you've lived for any length of time, I, I know that you can trace back some time in your life where you should have been dead. 
I look back at some time in my life where I missed a car accident by a couple of minutes. Maybe I had a friend that passed away that I, that I didn't. Maybe I was in a situation where it could have gotten really bad, but God spared me. You're alive today because God is merciful. That's what Lamentations tells us. So again, today, it's a gift, and we need to make sure that we steward it wisely. James chapter 4 tells us, what is your life? It's but a vapor. It appears for a short time and vanisheth away. That your life is just a single dot on the timeline of eternity. From eternity past to eternity future, you and I are just a, a tiny little blip on the radar that appears for a moment and then goes away. But here's the good news. God has ordained our lives. And you're alive today because God has not finished his purpose in you yet. You're still alive. God still has something left for you to do. And when we talk about God's purpose for our life, it's always funny to me sometimes people are like, oh, I'm on this journey of discovering God's will for my life. And you know, how long have you been on the journey? Years, I've been years just trying to search it out. Hey, look, God's purpose for your life is not like a hidden treasure. It's not like you're on a treasure hunt and you're trying to follow all the clues and read the tea leaves to find out what God's purpose is. God's purpose for your life is ridiculously clear. Let me just help you with this this morning. Your purpose is to glorify God with every fiber of your being. That's your purpose. Well, how am I supposed to do that? I'm glad you asked. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. That's it. You say, well, that's too easy. Jesus said it was that easy. Jesus says, I can summarize the entire Bible for you in two commandments. Love your neighbor and love God. On it, this, he said, on this, hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, I'm summarizing the entire Bible by giving you two commands. That's your purpose. That's what you're supposed to do. God has left you on this planet because he wants glory and he wants your worship. Now, how do we do that? Now we begin to talk about individual purposes, how you give God glory, how you love God, how you love your neighbor. That's specific to you. And that might be a journey that you go on I was, I was 36 years old when we pastored, when we, when we planted who we call a Baptist church. First time I'd ever pastored in my entire life at 36. It took me a minute to figure out where I was going, but once I found it, oh man, let me just tell you, it's on from here on out, right? So again, how do I, but again, at the end of the day, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm a son, I'm a brother for one purpose, to glorify God, to love God, and to love other people. So the purpose isn't some weird, mystical, out there thing that we've got to get a, you know, a, a crooked stick and hold it in the woods to try and figure out where we're supposed to go. It's really, really easy. Glorify God, love God. So again, we're talking about perspective this morning. We have hope because God left us alive because he wants glory from our lives. As you walk through difficulty and suffering in life, you're walking through difficulty and suffering because God wants his purpose to be fulfilled in your life. Philippians chapter one, verse number six, I love this verse. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, God kicked off something in you and he's continuing to work on that in your life and he's not done yet. Well, when will he be done? The day that you see Jesus Christ. God's started a work in you. He's going to continue that work until the day that you get to see him face to face. So if you're here this morning with breath in your lungs, you're here because God's not done with you yet. That's going to help us have perspective as we walk through life. Next, we see in this passage that God's aware of your suffering 
and he's leading you through it and walking with you through it. Again, verse number 22, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Let me pull over here for just a second and let, let me say something before we, we dig into this passage of scripture right here. You might be here this morning and say, I'm not going through any difficulty. I don't know suffering. I don't even know what you're talking about. This doesn't apply to me. Please take really good notes because first of all, you might need them later. You will need them later, fact. But secondly, here's what I want for you. This is the, the heart's desire that I have for you as your pastor. I want you to be a wise, discerning, knowledgeable Christian. That when people got questions about life, you're the person that they come to because they know that you know the Bible. We're having a marriage seminar coming up this Friday night. And you might say, oh, we've been married for 25 years. Our marriage is great. I don't think we need something like that. Well, maybe you could come and be an encouragement to somebody else. Or maybe you could get more wisdom to share with other people. Wouldn't it be something if your neighbors were talking to their other neighbors and say, man, our marriage is a wreck. And they said, oh, go talk to those guys over there. I know they're Christians and they know a lot about marriage. Oh, this guy at work, he's got a lot of questions about the Bible. Oh, you should go talk to him. He knows a lot of stuff about the Bible. One of the, uh, uh, I've been witnessing to the owner of our gym for, man, over six years now. Not saved yet. He's been to church once, uh, but I shared the gospel with him. Not ready to receive it. That's fine. But there's a guy who had visited our gym, who told our gym owner was talking to him. He said, what brings you to Hawaii? And he says, I'm on a spiritual journey. And our gym owner says, oh, I got a guy you totally got to meet. You got to meet Anthony. Like, like he'll, if you're on a journey, he's going to help you get to where you're going. And he introduced me to a guy by the name of Jotty. And Jotty came to our church and, man, got on fire for God, got baptized, got discipled, got married, serving Jesus now in, in Louisiana. Why? Because somebody said, oh, I've got a guy that you should meet. I want you to be that guy. I want you to be that gal that when people have questions about the Bible, they know that you know your stuff. And so I don't want you... Every time you've got a question about the Bible or a question about life to have to come to me, I want you to be able to figure things out on your own because you're walking in wisdom. And so my goal as your pastor is to equip you with the tools necessary to be a mature, knowledgeable, wise, discerning Christian that can then pass your wisdom on to other people. And so again, when we talk about suffering, you might say, well, that's not where I'm at right now. Good, take really good notes so that you can help other people when they walk through this. But when we talk about God being close in our suffering, if we take a look at verse number uh, 20, 22, of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. When we talk about the word compassion, it means a deep awareness and sympathy for one's suffering. When God sees you suffering, he's not just sitting back going, ah, tough break for you, man. Hope you make it through it. No, no, no. He is intently focused, aware near in our suffering. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language with the exception of parts of Daniel which were written in the Aramaic language. New Testament would have been written in the Greek language, but Jeremiah, when he writes here Lamentations, he's writing it in the Hebrew language. That word compassion that's used there is the, the Hebrew word rahamim. The word rahamim, compassion that's used here, is the same word that's used for a mother carrying a child in her womb. Exact same word, used interchangeably. Isn't that fascinating? When we talk about God having compassion for you in your time of suffering, we're talking about the way that a mother loves her unborn child in the womb. 
And God's blessed our family with four incredible kids. Three incredible kids, one that was okay. Uh, but I'll let you figure out which one that was. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Love our kids to death. But part of the joy of having children was when my wife is pregnant, you know, putting your hand on her stomach and feeling it kick and just the dreams that you have for the kid and all these names that we would come up with. And she'd be like, oh, we need to name our, our kid Millicent. And she's like, I went to high school with a girl named Millicent. I could not stand her. No way, no way. And again, just that whole process of, of hoping and dreaming and thinking of what this child would be like. And, and again, you get to see it for the first time. You love it even though you just met it. It's just this incredible uh, array of emotions. That's the feeling that our father has towards us. When he sees us in suffering, it's this, this feeling of protection and compassion poured out. And so again, when we talk about God being a, a God of compassion, the idea of God being a disconnected disciplinarian or an absent father goes against the biblical character of who God is. So many times people have this warped perception of who God is, that God's just mad all the time, and God's angry, and he can't wait to let people have it. God can't wait to take you out back of the woodshed and give you what's coming to you. No, 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 that's not our father. He doesn't live like that. Again, we reject the idea of, of the open theist that says that God is a God who kind of created everything and kind of stepped back and lets everything unfold. He's just disconnected. He created it all, but he has no, nothing to do with it. We reject that because the Bible says there's not a bird that falls from the sky that your father doesn't have his eye on. There's not a hair on your head that's not numbered by your father. He knows precisely what's going on, and he's involved, and he's a God of compassion. So many times I've invited people to church and they say, oh, if I walked in the front door of that church, the walls would collapse on me. Oh, if I went to your church, I'd have to have my own section because I wouldn't want anybody else to get struck by lightning. <laughs> you don't understand my father. <laughs> you know, God doesn't delight in punishment. The Bible, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God delights not in the death of the wicked, that when terrible people die, God's not pleased by that. He's not delighted by that. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. God doesn't want to punish anybody. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heartbeat of our Father. He wants unity. He wants peace. He wants to give you things that you've never experienced before, like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Those are the things that he wants to pour out and shower upon you. Not wrath and judgment. Now, does that mean that God's all love and not judgment? No. But again, we have to understand the totality of God's character. To just say that God is wrath is a mischaracterization of who he is. There have been people that have grown up in churches that you would describe as a hell, fire, and, and damnation church. That every Sunday it's God's wrath and hell's going to open up and swallow you whole. And you need to be careful when you step out of that aisle tonight that, that the floor doesn't open up and suck you into the pits of hell. Whoa. Now, would God do that? He wouldn't think twice about it, to tell you the truth. But is that who God is? Not by a long shot. Because God's wrath and judgment is always balanced out by his grace, his mercy, his love, and his readiness to forgive. Always. It's a balance. 
But at the same time, we can't say that God is just a God of love and he just loves everybody wherever they're at. And there's no consequences for sin because God made you the way that you are and he loves you the way that you are. And you can just stay how you are because that's what grace is for, to forgive sin. So just continue to sin as much as you want. God's grace is just going to continue to cover it. No, it doesn't work that way either. Because while God is love and grace and mercy, God is also holy. And so again, when we take a single attribute of God's character and pull that out by itself, we mischaracterize who our Father is. And I want you to know God, like really, really know God. That when you sin, you feel guilt and shame that comes from the Holy Spirit of sinning against a holy God that loves you so greatly that He spared you from wrath and judgment to give you the grace of His Son and you sinned against His grace. I want you to feel that because you understand who your Father is. That's going to give you a right perspective on life. But the idea that God is just angry all the time or ready to... to strike people down that's just not our father that's not who he is he's loving he's merciful he's gracious here the children of israel god has sent a prophet jeremiah to to, in tears tell them please stop please turn back to god please stop with the idolatry please stop with the false god worship come back to your father he's our god and we are his people they rejected it god sent them into slavery yet he's still waiting to forgive because that's who he is So again, as we have a proper perspective, we can't ever see God that while we're walking through suffering that God's just indifferent to our suffering. He's just like, eh, it's part of life. Deal with it, man. Or the idea that God is just like, oh, after all I've done for you, you're going to complain about this. That's not our Father either. If you're suffering, please know this. Our Father is with you closely, deeply, intimately involved in the midst of your strife and suffering. Let's take a look at this passage this morning. It's important to understand that walking through difficulty takes place one day at a time. Take a look at verse 22. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Here's the fact. 12-step program, whether it be alcohol or drug abuse or whatever you have, Give you the idea of staying sober one day at a time. Just focus on today. Focus on today's sobriety, and you'll get through this eventually, just taking it one day at a time, right? That's not a 12-step program idea. That's a biblical idea. That's God's plan. God's giving you his mercy every 24 hours. You got what you need just to make it through the day. Notice that God's mercies aren't new every week. God's mercies aren't new every month. God's mercies aren't new every year. They're new every morning. That as we look at how God deals with us, God didn't expect us to walk through life weeks or months or years at a time. He expects us to walk through life one day at a time with him by our side. So, so many times we get to looking too far out in the distance and we wonder how things are going to come to pass and how things are going to work out because we can't figure it all out. God's not going to do that. He's just going to give you one day at a time. And again, as we look back at the character of God, we find God's character in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering in the the wilderness. They had nothing to eat, so God says, I got you. I'm going to send you manna. How often did manna come? Anybody want to help me with that? Every single morning. It was there. 
Now, some people are like, I don't really know if we can trust God or not, so we're going to take enough for two days, right? So that way, if it doesn't come tomorrow, we've got enough to happen. What happened on the next morning when they woke up? It was rotten and full of worms, and they had to throw it out. Why? Because it was only good for a 24-hour period. You might say, well, but what about the Sabbath? The day before the Sabbath, they were told to take twice as much so that they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath, so they could store up a little bit, right? This is just my interpretation. This is my opinion. I give you that, okay? This is my opinion and my thought on this. I believe that they needed God every single day, and the Sabbath was their day to commune with God, spend time with God, worship God to a greater degree, and focus on God. So they weren't focused on God's provision, but on the Sabbath day, they were focused on God himself. That's just my opinion. But the idea is that they needed God seven days a week, not just a couple of times a month. If you've ever had the blessing of living paycheck to paycheck before, you say, did you say it's a blessing? It is. Where you're waiting for Friday to come to get paid, because once you get paid, we're going to the grocery and we're getting everything we need for the coming week, right? Have you ever been there before? We have plenty of times. And you're just waiting. Like, there's been times, <laughs> no lie, we're sitting on the couch, like, refreshing our bank account and waiting. Not these days because we budgeted. We, we submitted ourselves to the Lord and followed God's plan. But there's, back in the day, like, refreshing your bank account to see when that money hits so that you can go to the store. But that anticipation of waiting for your paycheck to hit, and you got to make sure that you stretch it out for the next seven days. There were times when Angela and I were first married and were serving in ministry that we had, like, six bucks to our name. It's just like, okay, if we buy a jar of peanut butter for $4, we have $2 left over. We can either buy a loaf of bread or put $2 worth of gas in the car. What do we do? We had to figure it out. Through those times, God always faithful 100% of the time. But here's the thing. When it comes to God's mercies and God's compassion, we don't have to stretch it out. You got enough for today. You'll make it through today. You will make it through today. That's a promise. And tomorrow... You can worry about tomorrow, but you're like, oh, no, no, I want to worry about tomorrow like today. Jesus, read the Sermon on the Mount, book of Matthew. Take no thought of the morrow, for the morrow will handle itself. You don't have what it takes to handle today's problems, much less tomorrow's. Just focus on today. You've got everything that you need for today because God's mercies are new every morning. And you'll figure out that when you walk with Jesus for 24 hours, and then you wake up tomorrow and you walk with Jesus for 24 hours and you do that seven days in a row, you string together about seven days of trust in Jesus. I got it. And then you do it for another week and another week and another week and then you got a month of trust in Jesus. And you do it for a couple of months and that turns into a year of walking with Jesus. And you begin to see your faith begin to grow. But you don't grow by walking with Jesus for months and years, you grow with walking with Jesus on a daily basis. And, and when it comes to growing in your faith, you can't rush the growth cycle. It's been said before, again, all wisdom points back to biblical principles and biblical wisdom. When was the best time to plant an oak tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time to plant an oak tree? Today. Oh, well, I want an oak tree today. You're not going to get an oak tree today. You plant the, the seed, you might get one in 20 years, but you've got to plant the seed starting today. If you want an oak tree today, you should have planted it 20 years ago. 
It's so funny to me sometimes when people go through difficulty and suffering. They're just like, oh, I don't know what to do here. I'm so frustrated. You haven't put the time in to be strong in this time. And so again, we've got to train our faith. And that's done one day at a time. So many times people look at my life and they're like, oh, I wish I had your faith. I wish I had your walk with God and stuff like that. A couple of things to that. First of all, you don't know my faith. Uh, second of all, you don't know my walk with God. I appreciate the fact that you have a high regard for it. I really do. But the fact of the matter is I struggle sometimes too. But let me just tell you this. Any ounce of faith that I've been able to show in my life, any walk with God that I've been able to be consistent with in my life, first of all, is a testimony to the mercy and the grace of God. That's a fact. But secondly, it's a testimony of the fact of consistency. I've been doing this walking with Jesus thing one day at a time for over two decades. Every single day. Let me just tell you that. That grows your strength because God brings you through through some stuff. You're able to see God bring you over to the other side. Times where you think you're sunk, when you think it's over, when you think there's no way out of this, I just got to hang on for today. God brings you over that hump and brings you through it. Last July 4th uh, on the evening service, we had people giving testimonies of God's faithfulness. And one of the men in our church had given a testimony of how God had brought him through a cancer diagnosis and he's cancer free now and God, God healed him. It was awesome. But he said there were days where I was just looking at the clock, waiting to be able to go to bed. He said, I thought to myself, if I can just make it through today, I'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. And again, that might sound like a, some strategy that you have for making it through difficult. No, that's a biblical idea. Tomorrow, God's mercy will be enough to make it through tomorrow. And look, sometimes when you go through difficult times and you just can't seem to get it together, you know what you need to do? You need to eat a meal and go to bed. No lie. There's been times where I said, I'm smoked, I'm tanked, I'm not in a good place right now, I'm going to eat dinner, and I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to pray before I go to bed, and I wake up the next morning and I realize, okay, it's not that bad, right? I was emotional, got on hand a little bit, you know, I was frustrated, but not that bad. What's the difference? First of all, reality. Second of all, when I woke up, you know where God's mercies were? They were back to full again. His mercies are new every morning. And sometimes when you feel overwhelmed, eat, take a nap, go to bed. You say, well, that's not a biblical idea. Elijah did it. It worked out well for him. He even had the very first like food delivery that we find in Scripture, right? <laughs> Ravens brought food. I'm going to make a food delivery service called Ravens Eats. I just thought of that. That's genius. Anyways, um, I was going somewhere with it. Oh, yeah. God's mercy is new every morning, but you can't rush the growth cycle. You need to start where you're at today. Uh, Many years ago, I ran the Santa Barbara Marathon with a a friend of mine. He lived in Oklahoma at the time. We lived in California at the time. We made a decision like six months earlier, hey, we're going to run the Santa Barbara Marathon together. So I had a training plan that was about 18 18 weeks long or so that I was supposed to do. Like week two of my training, I got sick. I got the flu, and I was out for like three weeks. Didn't run at all. And then when it came time, I got really busy at work, busy with family commitments. I just didn't feel like running. I was like over it. And so like two weeks before the marathon, I called him up. And I was like, hey, dude, like, I don't think I want to do this. Like, I'm just so not in it. I haven't even trained. And it's just going to be a bad scene. He was just like, I've already bought my airline tickets. I've already booked a hotel. All of it's non-refundable. Like, you got to show up. It's like, oh, 
great. And so I show up for a 26.2 mile run that I have trained zero for. And if you can imagine how it went terribly. Well, then we get there and I find out, here's the thing, like the Honolulu Marathon, you can take as long as you want because we have the Aloha Spirit here. Like if it takes you 18 hours to run it, you can run it for 18 hours, right? And there'll be somebody there waiting for you to clap at the end when you're done 18 hours later. Santa Barbara Marathon had a six-hour time cap. You don't finish in six hours, you don't, you're done. You don't get to finish. And so we find that out like the day before the race. I was like, oh, my soul, I haven't trained at all. i got to run this in six hours. And so he was in a lot better shape than I was. And the whole time, I'm griping, complaining, kicking rocks. He's yelling at me because I didn't train. It was just, it was just bad all the way around. I suffered, and we made it, no lie. Five hours, 59 minutes, and like 20 seconds. I mean, like... It was like the end, like, and it was miserable, miserable. I couldn't walk for three days after it. I had blisters all over. It was nasty. I think that was the last time I ever ran a marathon. It was, it was not fun. What's the point of that? The point is many of us approach God's suffering like that. We haven't trained for it. We hate it. People are talking in our ear, telling us we should have trained better. We're just like, buzz off. But here's the thing. What if you thought ahead and realized, I'm going to go through some difficulty and I need to be prepared when it comes? That's the idea. I love what Psalm 30 verse number 5 says, for his anger endureth for a moment, but in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And when difficulty and trials come, we have to figure out where we're going to find our strength. You take a look at verse number 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. When difficulty comes to your life, and it will, this is a critical question that you must answer. Where will you run? Oh, I'm going to run to the Lord. Yeah, sure. Where are you really going to run? That's the right answer, right? Run to the Lord. But I'm just going to tell you, I'm being transparent with you. There are times in my life where when difficulty comes, when I was a younger guy and difficulty came to my life, I always called my dad because my dad always has the answer to everything in life. And then there kind of came a point in my adult life where I realized, I think my dad's just kind of winging it as he goes. He just sounds really wise because he's my dad. But he's like making up stuff on the fly. I can make up stuff on the fly, Right? And so when, when everything falls apart in my life, I, I rarely call my dad now. If I have car problems, he's the first person I call. But if, other than that, I kind of wing it at myself, right? But we run places. I would run to my dad. And then there came a point where in my life I ran to materialism. I'm going to go buy something that makes me feel better. Well, I don't really have the money to do that because I haven't managed my money well. Oh, great. I've got a credit card with a really high limit. We should just take a vacation and get out of all this craziness, Right? We'll, so we'll spend a week on Maui, and that'll fix all of our problems, and we'll run there and just forget about all the craziness that's going on in life, and we became escapists from our problems, but what we found is when we got back from Maui, all of our problems were still waiting for us before we ever unpacked our suitcase. That's not a strategy for difficulty. There are times in my life that I can look back and see pictures of myself where I ran to food for comfort. Man, I was well over 300 pounds because I found comfort in food. And again, it goes back to the way that I was raised. If you had a really good day at school, you, man, we uh, wouldn't celebrate it. You got a good report card? Man, we were going to Pizza Hut. Our, our hometown had a Pizza Hut, right? And you go to Pizza Hut, you get to play the little Pac-Man game that you sat down at with a screen, you know, and stuff like that. Pizza Hut, man, we celebrated. Had a bad day? Mom's going to make you chocolate chip cookies to, to cheer you up. And then comfort just came from food. 
And somebody has a wedding, man, we're going to celebrate after. We're going to have cake and the little mints that everybody loves, all the kids love to put in their pockets and stuff like that. We're going to celebrate with food. Somebody passes away right after the gravesite. What do you do? Go back to somebody's house and eat fried chicken and, and talk about how good they were or how much you're going to miss them and all that other stuff. Everything revolved around food. Look, our schools uh, programmed us. If you read lots of books, you're going to get a, a, a certificate for a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut, right? You know what I'm talking about, the book it program, right? Hello. The reward was always what? Food. And so I developed an attachment that when things went badly in my life, there's nothing that a large pepperoni pizza from Domino's with extra pepperoni and a two liter of Mountain Dew, there was nothing in the world that could not be fixed by that for 30 minutes, right? And, and no lie, I, I can look back at myself in places where I was in a poor space spiritually and emotionally, and it shows in my pictures by my weight. No lie, that's, that was just for me. It's not for everybody, but that was what I was going through because that's where I ran. But then I realized that doesn't really work. And so many times people run to different relationships. Oh, my marriage is a wreck, so I'm going to find somebody that makes me happy. That's not the problem. Oh, I hate my boss, so I'm going to find a new job. That's not the problem. Oh, I don't make enough money here, so I'm going to find something that pays me more. That's not the problem. You'll never find a carnal solution to a spiritual problem. And so the question is, where do you run? Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion and my strength. When difficulty comes, I run to the Lord. And let me just tell you, when Angela and I decided to do that, everything in our life changed. Everything. Now it's the first place that we run. Oh, I didn't see that coming. We should totally pray about that. Oh, I don't know how to handle this situation. We should pray about that. I don't know what to do in this scenario. I'm going to pray, I'm going to trust the Lord, and then I'm going to seek godly counsel of people that I know and love that walk with Jesus and see what their thoughts on it are. Because the Lord is our strength. Psalm 18, verse number 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Psalm 27, verse number 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so if the Lord is our strength, and he is, and you want to run to the Lord, and you do, then we need to begin strength training. You need to start preparing for that. Early on in the history of uh, who we call, there's a man in our church at the time who had done some terrible things and was going to prison. Before his sentencing hearing, which is, you know, 90 days away, he came to me and he says, Pastor, I know for a fact that I'm going to prison. I need help. I don't know what to do. And I said, okay, let's start preparing you spiritually for one of the most difficult things you've ever gone through in your life. And so we did. We started going through discipleship. We started meeting a couple times a week and praying together. We started you know, processing through things in his life that he needed to make right with God and with other people. We began to read books together. He never read books before in his life. We began to read books together. His sentencing hearing came and he got three years in prison. First time he was able to get uh, visitors, he asked me if I would come. I went to the Federal Detention Center over out there by the airport and, and met with him. I wasn't able to send him books in an envelope in the mail, but you could send them through Amazon. So I began to send him books. Hey, tell me when you finish this book, and I'm going to send you another one. I'm going to send books. And when I went to visit him in prison, we would talk about the things that he's read, the things that he's learning, what God's teaching him, and how he can do things in his life now to make sure that things like this don't happen in the future. We looked back at his life and began to figure out where he went wrong and where he got off track. And guess what? It was actually a really spiritually productive process. 
as opposed to taking a victim mentality of like, oh, I'm the one that has to go to prison. Nobody else goes to prison. They do the exact same thing. He began to say, hey, what is God teaching me? God's giving me time to focus on myself and focus on him, and I'm going to use this time wisely. We begin training. Again, if you want to run a marathon, find a training plan on the internet and commit to it. You want to lift more weight, begin a progression plan, a progressive overload uh, in the gym every single week so that you can begin to habitually lift more weight. It's a process that you got to go through. Our spiritual walk is no different. You want to be a strong Christian, start training strength this week. Spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, spend time around solid Christians. Cut off the things that are taking your eyes off of Christ. Fill your heart with solid worship music that draws your heart towards the heart of God and cut off all the garbage that draws your heart towards the things of the world. Prepare yourself for strength. You want to be a strong Christian? Start getting stronger. I think of Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 10. It says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And again, what I want for you more than anything in the world is that when the day of adversity comes, your strength is not small, it's great. That when adversity and difficulty comes your way, you're not like a, oh no, what do I do? It's a matter of like, hey, let's roll up these sleeves because this is what I prepared for. Hey, it's time to go to battle and the person beside me in the battle is my father and he's promised that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And suffering is part of that process. And again, Philippians 4, that little verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me, doesn't mean that you can just uh, you know, start your little side business and your, your Etsy shop and your coffee shop and all this. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. That verse is specifically directly related to suffering. And you can do it through Christ which strengthens you. Guaranteed. That's a fact. So start training that way. So that when difficulty comes, your strength is not small, your faith is not small, but you're ready, you're prepared for this. I knew this was coming. The Bible says, think it not strange when difficulty comes your way as if some strange thing is happening to you. But isn't that what we do when difficulty comes? Like, Why is this happening to me? Don't do that. The Bible specifically says that. You're like, oh, here's difficulty. That means that God wants me to be stronger as a result of this. That means that God wants to be glorified through my life. I get the opportunity to show other people what a solid Christian that loves Jesus looks like. Yeah, what an opportunity. You say, that's crazy. No, that's a biblical perspective. It's how you view it. It's how you look at it. Do you look at it from a victim perspective? Oh, why is this happening to me? Oh, I didn't get the same breaks that everybody else got. Oh, woe is me. No, 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 no. That's a victim perspective. We take a biblical perspective. It's of the Lord's mercies that I'm not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion and my strength. That's the perspective that we take. And you're like, oh, I don't, you don't think you, I don't think you know how bad my situation is. I don't think you realize how bad the children, off the children of Israel were. Have you ever felt so badly that God has broken your teeth with gravel? That sounds super painful to me. But that's where they were at. They said, but I choose to trust God anyways. I believe that God is good to his word. I remember God's faithfulness and how it's due every single morning. And I just got to make it through the end of the day. And God's mercy will meet me tomorrow morning, guaranteed. 
It's a perspective shift. And so you and I need to master the art of faith-filled self-talk. Now, again, this is going to be one of those areas where you think that maybe we're crossing over into some weird new age psychobabble of mantras and positive affirmations and looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? This is not positive self-talk where I look and I say, Anthony is strong. 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 I am strong. I am strong. It's not that, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. But again, self-talk is a real thing because we talk to ourselves in our minds and many times we discourage ourselves. I think of David in the Psalms, three different times he says this exact same phrase, Psalm 42, verse number five. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? What's wrong with you, man? Is what he's saying to himself what's your problem? Why are you so down? Why are you so discouraged? And here's what he says. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to hope in him. He is my expectation. He's what I'm longing for. He's the desire of my heart. And I choose today to praise him, not to complain. That's what he says. But he's having to talk himself down. He's having to give himself a little personal pep rally to bump himself up. But we're masters of negative, fear-filled self-talk. We say things like, I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Like of all people, like me? Like I'm a Christian. I'm trying to like walk with Jesus. If this happens to me, we say things like, hey, I'm so alone. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know what's going to happen to me six days, six weeks, six months, six years from now. I don't know how I'm going to process through this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. This is the way we talk to ourselves. And again, lest you think that you're the first person to ever feel like this, you just need to read the Psalms. You know what David says? Hey, God, did you forget to be good? I thought you were good, but this doesn't feel good. David goes so far as to say this. The wicked, he prospers. The righteous, he suffers. This isn't fair. I don't deserve this. And let me just help you with something this morning, Christian. And even if you're not a Christian, let me help you with this thought. You do not want God to be fair. That's a fact. You don't. You want God to be gracious and merciful because if you really got what you deserved, you would not want that. I promise you that. But we as parents try to help our kids and say, that's not fair, Dad. Life isn't fair, son. Ha, ha, ha. It's a fact, right? Here's the thing. God, that isn't fair. God's like, I never said I was fair. Point to me a single verse in all of Scripture that says God is fair just not there you say well that's terrible that god's not fair no god does you one better god is merciful he's gracious he's kind he's loving compassionate and he's just but he never ever purports himself to be fair so again these feelings that we talk to ourselves like oh i don't deserve this friend you don't want what you deserve oh i'm so alone nobody knows what i'm going through i don't know how i'm going to make it through this 
You know, I, I think about like, this is the end of my marriage. This is the end of my, my career. This is the end of, you know, everything I've worked for my whole life. You know, I'm in a spot that I'll never be able to get out of. You're looking too far out in the distance and you're believing things that just aren't true. We begin to say things like, I don't have what I need to make it through this. Nobody really understands what I'm going through. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me, and I need this to be fixed like today. I don't have time to wait. Like somebody needs to tell me like what's going on like right now. And just the pressure is just so tight. And then we begin to despair. Then we begin to lose hope. And we're just like, hey, I don't really see any resolution here. I don't know how this gets fixed. I think this is irreparably broken. I think my life from here on out is never going to be the same ever again. And I don't know how I'm going to make it. I got it. I get you. Eat dinner and go to bed. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, God's mercies will be there for you. But all of this, every single one of those statements are absolutely false. They're all lies. And you know where lies come from? They come from the devil. The Bible says he's a liar from the beginning and he speaks lies because that's who he is. And he's the father of all lies. So when you and I buy into this garbage self-talk, which I am guilty of at times as well, I'm not singling anybody out or trying to put anybody down. When we buy into this, we're believing a lie that comes from the devil and we need a perspective shift this is not a biblical perspective. This is a worldly, carnal, fear-filled, scared perspective. So again, I could share with you, oh, here's the top 10 things that I think through that I think would be helpful for you. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you or I think about how to get through things. What does the Bible say? And here's the thing that Jeremiah gives us. He gives us the perfect self-talk that is faith-filled. Here's the fact of the matter. I'm better off than I deserve. You know why? Because it's of the Lord's mercies that I'm not consumed. At least I'm still alive today. That's more than most people can say. I have breath in my lungs today because God is not done with me. And I know that I'm not alone. That's a lie because my Father is with me. And the fact of the matter is, is if I'm really honest, I'm never alone. I have the Spirit of God with me. I have Jesus who promised to never leave me or forsake me. I have a Father that loves me. I have the promises of God's Word. I have a church family that cares about me. And let me just tell you this. If you're your first time here at Huikala and you're a child of God, you are part of our family. If you're not a child of God, we want you to become a child of God. But we are always with you. We are always for you. And the idea that you are alone is a lie from the pit of the devil's soul. Because you're never alone. Your Father's always with you. Again, just as we walk through these verses, God's promised you the strength that you need for today. He's given you the promise that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll have the strength that you need for tomorrow. You don't have to make it through the next six weeks, six months, or six years. You just got to make it through today, and God's mercy will meet you tomorrow morning. He said, I don't even think that I got what it takes to make it through the day. Good. Call a friend who can walk you with it or eat something and go to bed. Because tomorrow morning when you wake up, God's mercy will meet you. And you can never exhaust God's compassion. You can never exhaust God's mercy. It's always there. It's always available for you. Next, <laughs> beautiful promise from God's word. Three words, God is faithful. Great 
is thy faithfulness. So many times people text me, hey, Pastor, could you pray about this, pray about that? So many times people text me heartbreaking news. Hey, I just want to let you know I just lost my job. Hey, I just want to let you know we just lost our pregnancy. Hey, I just want to let you know that my wife packed a bag and walked out. I get those texts all the time. And what do you say? What's the answer to that? Oh, I'm praying for you? That sounds kind of trite, doesn't it? What's the answer to that, though? I have no words that will bring comfort to your soul other than these three words. God is faithful. And no lie, if you've been on the receiving end of those texts from me, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you, if you need anything, I'm with you, call me anytime. God is faithful every single time. Because that's the greatest comfort that we have. I'm going to let you down at some point, just know that. I'm going to disappoint you at some point, just know that. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never let you down. You'll be never be disappointed. And he's always, 100% of the time, he's always faithful. Next, Jesus Christ is enough, and you can trust him. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, therefore will I hope in him. Hey, look, if you got Jesus, you're good. You got everything you need for this life and the next. Next, verse number 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait on him, to the soul that seeketh him. I'm really looking forward to see how God is glorified in this situation. I believe right now it's, it's very difficult. It, it's, it's hard. I can't even think too far ahead. But I, I think one day when I'm past all this, I can look back and see God's faithfulness. I really want to see how God is magnified and glorified through my life. I want to see how God can make me stronger. Again, I'm going to roll up my sleeve because this is what I prepared for. I was ready for this. I knew suffering was come, and I knew that God's grace would meet me. His mercy, his compassion would be there the day that I needed it. Man, I'm looking forward to seeing how God gets glory through this situation. I hope that I can carry myself in such a way that people see Jesus in me. Hey, I heard that you're going through a tough time. Yeah, I am, but God's been really good. I'm just praying a lot and I'm reading a lot of the Psalms and I've got a great church family that loves me and like, honestly, I have everything under the sun that I could possibly need because God has been so good to me. I want to walk through those difficult times with grace, with faith. And finally, verse number 26. I love this. It's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. You see, waiting on God's actually good for me. That's what the Bible says. Could God make all of your problems go away in a second? Absolutely. Will he? Probably not. Here's the hardest thing about being a Christian and trusting in the Lord is that God might not make your problems go away this week. He might not make them go away this month. He might not ever make them go away this year. God might never fix this problem in your lifetime. You say, well, that's not very encouraging. Actually, it is because he's promised that his grace is sufficient for you. And sometimes what you need is not God's resolution. You just need a lot of God's grace. So Paul said, Paul says, I got a thorn in the flesh. Three times I asked God to take away and he wouldn't. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is good enough. It'll see you through. Sometimes we just got to lean on God's grace. And let me just tell you, we live in an instant gratification society. And if I call up and say, hey, I need to get my tires rotated, they go, oh, the first appointment I got is Wednesday. Wednesday, I want it done tomorrow morning, like I need my tires rotated in the next 12 hours, right? But I don't want to wait till Wednesday. I'll call around until I find somebody who can get me in sooner because I want it done quicker. And again, we live in a society where, hey, if I want to buy something, I don't want to save the money to do it. I want to get a credit card and get what I want today. I'll pay for it later. That's not helpful. 
One of my boys asked me a few months ago, they said, oh, I've got this bill coming up. Can, can you pay for it for me and I'll make payments to you later? And as a good father, you know what I said? No. You pay for it yourself. Well, I know, but it's going to take a lot of time. Okay, you got nothing but time, bro. And you know what? That was good for him. Because it, here's the crazy thing. I don't have time to tell you the details, but, but through a series of circumstances over a period of time as he was faithful in making payments on that, God worked out a, 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 a situation where he didn't owe anymore and he didn't even have to pay off his balance. Hey, it was actually a good thing for him to wait on the Lord. And again, if you have children, this is incredibly important. You need to show your children what your heavenly father does for you. You need to be gracious, you need to be merciful, you need to be compassionate, you need to be kind. Sometimes you need to chastise, sometimes you need to bring judgment, but it's always done in love and compassion and kindness. And sometimes you need to tell your kids, you just need to wait. It's a good thing for you to wait on the Lord. And so again, that's not encouraging sometimes to hear that, but God's working and I always tell people, waiting time is not wasted time unless you waste it. So I'm going to take this time, and I'm going to grow. I'm going to make myself stronger while I'm waiting on the Lord because the Lord is my strength. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, today's message doesn't really apply to you because the strength that I'm, I'm telling you that you need, you don't have. You need Jesus, who will not only forgive your sin, but also give you the strength and hope that you need to make it the rest of the way and into eternity as well. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, Put your faith and trust in Jesus today. But for those of us that are Christians, if you're walking through a trial right now, you need to change your perspective and focus it on Jesus and get a biblical perspective. If you, you say, hey, I'm not walking through a trial right now. Good. Buckle up, buttercup, because it's coming. Guaranteed. And when it comes, you need to say, hey, I'm ready for this. I'm prepared. For I know what to do here. I'm well trained. You might say, hey, I don't see any trials coming. Good. Would you be ready and able to help other people in our church that are struggling because they need a friend during this time? But here's what we have. We have hope. Not because we're smart enough or we can get through this on our own, but because we have a biblical perspective and the Lord is our strength. Let's share our hope with the world this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.